Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we broadcast from Setup Day of Husker Harvest Days taking place just west of Grand Island. Another interesting market trade. We're going to kind of take a little different look at the way we're seeing things happening. We're going to look more at a, a global perspective first and foremost. We did see some higher numbers, though. In the corn and the soybeans, wheat, unfortunately, still has a negative pressure, and it was higher on the livestock side. Darren Fry joins us with Water Street Advisors, and we'll kind of start out because you and I were having a great conversation, all because of a tweet that you put out um, mid-morning, and I wanted to pull this tweet up just to share with our with our listeners. It says, today nobody seems to care, but tomorrow they might, and that's coming off of a, of a tweet that you retweeted about when it comes to global food crisis 2.0. And there's a lot of concerns out there. Well, there's more and more concern as we see some of this weather around the globe not really straightening out. And with a strong El Nino, we know it gives us some problems in Southeast Asia. We already know there's some bans on rice and sugar and there's wheat shortages in India. They are uh, a huge producer of cotton as well. But also, as you have a strong El Nino, we get problems with Australia wheat and Canadian wheat production is down, and obviously what's going on in the Black Sea is not good for expanding acres, not good for getting exports out, it's not good for getting shippers the insurance for the freight that they need, because insurance companies just won't cover them. And so there's there's issues, and I, I do think that we're moving into a place as consumption continues to move higher. We're going to see maybe some more food shortages for those nations that can't get access to it or can't afford it, especially when you tie it to all the inflationary concerns that we've had over the last 18 months around the world. Could that be some of the factors then that are working in on the way we've seen the wheat just continue to trade lower? Wheat is trading lower because it hasn't flushed the retail person out yet. Once we do that, and maybe we're getting close to doing that, you'll see wheat rebound. I think the next move of significance is higher, but we haven't made a bottom yet in wheat. And it's mainly been dominated because uh, Russia still has a lot of wheat. And until they clear some of that out and we see how these exportable stocks have uh, maybe declined, we're not going to bottom wheat. But I think we are close. And that pressure, as you talked about, is just going to continue for at least the near term, if not long term, on the Black Sea region. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to understand what's going to happen there. You know, over the weekend, we saw Russia really turn down any of those proposals by Turkey, the UN, G20 meeting. Uh, they just aren't interested in moving forward, and I think it's going to hurt our ability to have trade out of there longer term and at least stable trade out of there. So, Darren, what are you going to see when we're talking about production concerns with Southeast Asia? We haven't had a lot of focus on them. But it sounds like there there could be some issues there as well, maybe for some food scarcity. Well, you're starting to see it like in in sugar prices, for example. We haven't seen it reflected in, in wheat or barley or rice. There are local markets there that obviously are being impacted. But, you know, I think a market here, uh, and we know China grows the number one amount of cotton, if you can believe those numbers, in the world. And then it's India, and then it's the United States. Brazil is right behind. But Cotton is one that's tied closely to economic, uh, you know, circles, and and we're starting to see cotton move higher. We know we have a poor crop here, but if that weak monsoon over in Southeast Asia affects cotton production, obviously that is something you might see, uh, just like sugar, we're seeing it have an impact. Haven't seen the rice market really take off as a result. Haven't seen the wheat market or barley, 
but I do know that uh, cotton and sugar are on the way higher. What about uh, what we're going to see with, I mean, you were talking about this whole weather concern, and I know that brings up some issues of maybe some planning delays for Brazil. Yeah, El Ninos, strong El Ninos like this have a tendency to bring a lot of moisture into the southern part of Brazil, two or three of those lower states, into Uruguay, Paraguay, northern Argentina. But it can leave uh, other parts of Argentina a little on the dry side, and especially central and northern Brazil. So you got big states like Mato Grosso, uh, Mato Grosso do Sul, Goiás, Tocantins, Bahia, that might miss out on some of those early rains. And we know they have to have decent moisture before they'll start planting. So any delays down there really puts the second safrina, the second crop of corn, uh, the safrina crop really at risk. And it gives us a little bit larger export window for our soybeans. You tie that with a crop that's probably shrinking here with our terrible August weather. And that really has some support under the soybeans, under the meal, under the bean oil market as we start into this government report tomorrow. Well, since you brought it up, what are some of your early preliminary thoughts of tomorrow's report? Well, I mean, you don't know what the government's going to do, obviously, but um, they're either, I, I think it'll come down. It's just, does it come down as much as it needs to get a, you know, a little bit of fire lit under these funds that are short? I think if they, you know, basically come with a 172 and a half, 173 on corn, it's probably blah, 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 and we don't see much from it. Uh, if they come with a 171 or under, then I think that gets very interesting in the September report. Same thing on beans. If they lower it to 50, not a big deal. If they come to 49 and a half or below tomorrow, that will be a big deal. And as tight as our balance sheet is in beans, that'll get people concerned. Start pushing us back over the $14 area for November beans. We're looking at a pretty quiet pre-report trade for overnight into tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. I think people been pretty well positioned you know if you look at the options and what they're pricing in i think they're pricing in anywhere from you know 15 to 20 cent moving corn 30 to 40 in beans so we could have some volatility coming out of that report tomorrow at 11 o'clock so we'll see what happens all right we'll stick around folks we've got a lot more coming up as we get ready for the second half of the fontanelle final bell we come back we'll talk a little bit what we're seeing export number wise and any other influence that might be affecting the way this grain trades of course Pre-report, of course, with that coming out tomorrow at 11 o'clock. A look at the livestock side as well. And we'll see what else is on Darren's mind as we look at the overall markets as we start out this first full trading week. Stick around. We've got a lot more coming up. It is the Monday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell coming to you from the pre-show setup for Husker Harvest Days right here on the Rural Radio Network. Husker Harvest Days is here. Please join us one final year in the Fontenelle Hybrids Tent at the show September 12th through the 14th near Grand Island. There's plenty to talk about, including the merger into the new Channel C brand, our proven performance potential, and an expanded corn portfolio for 2024. So stop and see Fontenelle at Husker Harvest Days. The same local commitment with new possibilities. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. KRVN. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Darren Fry. Of course, Darren is with Water Street Advisors. We were left off. We were kind of talking about this big report that comes out tomorrow. I did, and this is, I've been asking Darren, everybody, this question. How much weight is this, this report, the September report, versus the one we're going to get before year's end and the January report? Well, this is just, you know, the first time they're out in the field taking a look. 
Obviously, they're going to get more accurate in October and November before we ever get to that final in January. But they will weigh anything that's mature. So if you take a look at the progress report this past week, we're 18% mature in corn on Sunday, reported on Tuesday after Labor Day. And if you take a look at where, when the numerators were out, they probably had at least 14 15% of that crop mature that previous week. And so I would expect that we're going to get some indication especially in the Western Corn Belt, of how things have finished because some of those things rapidly move toward maturity. And so we don't have enough mature to weigh all the corn, all the soybeans, and get these counts more accurate. That'll come in October and definitely by November. But this is a big report from the standpoint it's the first time they've been in the field. And if they've seen some of the transformation of that crop from good to just average to maybe worse as we've rapidly declined with this dry weather, with the hot weather, uh, they'll be picking up on some of that and putting it in this report. Switch over to the uh, side of the livestock uh, trade, and we look at this cattle market, and I know that there has been some some big numbers that have been moving through these sale barns, some heifers that might be going from one operation back to the countryside. So it's nice to finally see some talk of heifer retention. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's kind of surprising that we're seeing that because of how much you can sell those heifers for. And uh, yet that is what it's going to take to expand uh, the herd size, right, is to retain those heifers. But we continue to see cattle. We are short cattle. We covered those cattle last week, got out, took a small loss, and are open again uh, looking for another, you know, eight to ten bucks on that breakout on the fats. Feeders, the same thing. They're not done going up. And as this herd continues to uh, decline in size and the demand has not waned really domestically, uh, we're going to continue to put a bid under these things. And so um, it's it's been a dynamic market, one that's really gone a lot further than I thought it could, uh, but we're still going. So do you think cattle is going to be bullish long term? Well, I was thinking we'd get a break and then go to new highs, but we haven't even broken yet. And so, yeah, I would think through next year it has to be, unless we see the consumer push away, and as long as the economy doesn't have a black swan event, everybody, um, you know, stays employed and people have a appetite for beef, uh, they will keep coming after it. But if we see something shift with the domestic consumer, because we know exports have been hit some in the beef side compared to pork and and we know that if the domestic consumer pushes away, then it doesn't matter how tight the supplies are. Uh, demand will take us lower if it begins to wane. So do you think there is the potential to see that pushback coming from the consumer? Well, I think at some point, I think as long as people are employed and the economy is okay, but if people get fearful, if the stock market begins to crumble, if we see the economic activity turn down, uh, we start seeing unemployment rates go up, if any of these things happen uh, and it makes a consumer skittish, uh, they will start cutting back in all areas, and beef will be one of those luxuries that they'll, you know, push away from at the grocery store. Is the global potential, though, there to keep that demand up for beef? Boy, I don't know if there's a global uh, dimension for that. I, 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 I don't see that as much as the domestic consumer supporting it, but... You know, I, I think if we get into some type of recession or a problem, the whole world's participating in that, just not us. So, 
All right, looking at the big picture as, as we look at this and talk on a Monday, what are you looking at to watch post-report tomorrow on the greens? I think more so how we react initially, you know, within the first 15 minutes, and then how do we close? Um, obviously, if it's bullish numbers, we react positively, we close strong. Markets are turning higher, corn, wheat, soybeans are moving to new highs. If we, uh, you know, get a negative report and we push down, but then come back and close decent, maybe that scores a bottom. We got a large short position for the funds in corn, second largest for this time of year, a huge short position in wheat. Certainly, they might want to start covering as we see seasonals turn up mid-month into the end of the month here in September. So uh, wait for the finish tomorrow. We'll see how we close. That'll tell us a lot about the rest of the week and beyond. All right, great conversation. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Well, they can call us toll-free at 866-249-2528, or they can always look me up on Twitter. I'm there, and Fry underscore WSS. All right, that is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. As we always remind you, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. That's a Fontenelle Final Bell brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers at the Rural Radio Network.